definitely class action. Two, two billion in damages. Oh, 100%. I should send them my therapist's bill. <laughs> should I say 100% in that real Ferdinand way? Yeah. 110%. 110%. God bless you. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to the studio. We are very, very excited to have Georgie with us, as well as Georgia. And because I scored once again a D- minus on structured introductions... <laughs> Let's, let's do them properly this time. So, yes. hello, I'm Ian. I run Internet Retailing. Pleasure to be here. Georgie. Yes, so hi. It's a pleasure to be here as well. I'm Georgie and I founded Novello Products and Sister is a brand within that. I am Georgia, just to confuse things. And I head up marketing at Adobe. I reckon that's a solid B+. Plus. That was a solid B+. Plus. Excellent. Well done. So, let's jump straight in then. Uh, Georgie, welcome, welcome. So the first thing is, let's talk about Sister. And because this is in people's ears, they're not enjoying the pun, which I will now spell, which is <laughs> S-I-S-T-I-R, which is a little bit Icelandic. Sister? Is Welsh? <laughs> Welsh Icelandic. <laughs> Said with such confidence. <laughs> okay, Zero get, factual basis. <laughs> I'll get my coat. Well, now I've started. Why don't you tell us, along with some of the lovely puns, on your website, the story of Sister. Yeah, sure. That would be great. So Sister was started with my sister, funnily enough. Um, It's a a pun that's related to the fact that I started it with the help of my sister back in 2014. As you rightly pointed out, Stir is spelled S-T-I-R, which is a reference to the coffee. So it's a name that encapsulates what we're about, really. We started back in 2014 with a tiny range of coffee tins on Not on the High Street. And the idea... Pause. Yeah. That sounds like it arrived fully formed. Of course we <laughs> yeah. started there because there's a big sign called Start Here. But yeah. how did you go from chatting to your sister saying, why is Nike punny all the time? I don't know. Let's start a coffee brand. Yes. That doesn't seem... We want more. More, yeah, more, we need the, more detail. Yeah. Yes. So, well, it's and fun... where were you? Yeah. <laughs> what were you drinking? Coffee. It's a, yeah, well, I, it's a funny story. So my sister and I were having a chat one evening and we talked about coming up with an idea for a business. We kind of talked about doing something together for a while. And we were having a chat one evening um, and started talking about coffee randomly. And the idea came up. Uh, she she was a new mum at the time. An idea of 3am blend came up out of nowhere. And <laughs> we thought, oh, that's a really fun idea for coffee, along with kind of parent survival fuel. <laughs> and along those lines, we, we, we started thinking, actually, there are moments in life where coffee helps in a fun way. So we thought about jet lag fuel and late night crammer blend. And really that concept <laughs> was the start. So it was just a concept. But we thought there's enough in this. Let's develop some products somehow. So that's really where the first idea started. Okay, pause again, because <laughs> I, I think entrepreneurs like you have a tendency to kind of skim over things <laughs> that mere mortals such as Ian and I go, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. But how? So when you, you made the decision to look into product somehow, mm-hmm. 
had you had experience in in product like do you you've got you seem to have a level of comfort that I feel others would not yeah. have in making this step it's it, yeah I mean it's funny to look back really because you do brush over one does um you forget the detail behind it all and you think yeah well we just did a we developed product but I had a background in product marketing for Disney I worked for Disney for 10 years in their consumer products division uh-huh. <laughs> so that was probably a big help yes I, I managed to kind of look at the concept from a product point of view Mm -hmm. and thought there's enough of a story and a concept in that and we thought how can we create a coffee product so we started with a coffee tin which was something that was easy enough to put together in terms of all the different parts of it and that, yeah, that's how we started. So we kind of kept it simple in that way. But even that is, I suppose, not as straightforward as it sounds. No. Now, if you Googled start a coffee business, then you get anything from buy a Starbucks franchise to start making macchiatos on the pier or something. So there's a whole range. But the whole coffee supply chain is quite complicated. I don't think you can just turn up and say, can I have bulk coffee, please? So I think there's a whole operational side. There are two things to balance here. One is the brand, the clever idea, where you can have a nice box, bit of a pun, stick any old crap inside. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, I, I can tell the difference between beans and the roast at 40 paces. I love the product. So how did you balance that out when you're thinking, is this just a great idea I can sell? Or is it I love coffee? Or is it both? It's both. I think... We, because I I have a branding background, I, uh, what was really important to me was the story and the kind of positioning of it. And coffee was part of that in terms of telling that story. So what was really important to us from the beginning was finding really premium partners, not just from the coffee side, but from the packaging and design side too. So it was a balance of all elements. And actually, the packaging and the proposition is as much about our business as the coffee is. Mm. That's equally as important, if not more, because the positioning of the product is what then pulls consumers in. And then the coffee is sometimes a nice secondary, but, you know, it's part of the story, but it's not all about the coffee. It's as much about the brand. Because when I saw it, we'll come back to uh, how you started selling it, but the impact you get if you look at it today is, ooh, posh present. Yes. So it just looks present worthy. And, you know, in this day and age, you can't send people wine or they may have gluten intolerance. So you're thinking, what can I send somebody? Yeah. So it's just got, ooh, this is a nice gift written yeah. on it. So the packaging is actually quite luscious. Exactly, yeah. And that was really important for us. So the packaging, but also the copy, because that's really a huge part of the value. So the packaging itself and the way it's presented from a copy point of view. And is it gifts? Is that kind of, is Ian kind of nail hammer head on on your target audience? That's how it started. It's not necessarily purely that today, but that's exactly where it started. And for example, one of our best selling products is a 10 year anniversary gift. (laughs) Um, We've kind of captured the imagination on on a couple of our different SKUs, but that's where we see a lot of our business coming from the gifts, the corporate gifts as well, because Mm. it does play into that fun kind of premium but original different type of Mm. gift but it also meets an accessible price point which especially today is is really important so let's go back to not on the high street and you know today's listener is spoilt for choice with the sheer plenitude of marketplaces specialized broad etc but back in the old days you know, when phones, you know, still use for voice. Um, Not on the high street had quite a distinctive positioning yeah. about, again, being very 
gifty, quirky, etc. So let's go back to that morning. You've had the idea, you've worked on the product, and then you think, oh, I know, not on the high seas. Let's just talk about the from first listing to the sales and the growth. Yeah. So Not on the High Street was a really natural partner or platform to launch on because what we wanted to build in early on was a personalised element to our products, partly thinking about the gift factor, but also thinking about how we can create something that's unique and carve out a space in the market for our product. So Not on the High Street was a really natural platform in that way, given that it was positioned and still is as a gifting site but also because their audi- the audience was very relevant. We knew that our product would appeal and they did seem to have a gap in when it came to coffee. They didn't really have a huge amount of sellers who were operating in the coffee space. So we saw a real opportunity and they liked what we presented. So that happened quite quickly. It took us about six months to develop something that was ready to photograph and launch. And we then launched got an order within the first two hours yes. and thought, yes, there's there's something in this. We, Fantastic. We, we, yeah. That must be a bit of a record <laughs> for a brand new brand yeah, product we, in yeah. two we hours. Surprised. I think we did kind of, you know, jump up and down and yeah. get yeah. very excited about that first order. And then luckily and there were a few And it wasn't a relative. More. It wasn't. No. <laughs> um. Well, the funny thing was it was a name that I recognised and I thought, oh, well, you know, it's it's a friend. But actually it wasn't. It was someone up in Scotland that happened to have the same no. name as one of my sister's friends. <laughs> Let's maybe go back now to the analytics side because, again, you're doing this whole skippy ovary thing where you say yeah. there was a gap. So again, you don't dial 1-800-where's-a-gap and get told where the gaps are. So you've also done quite a bit of analysis on the range being offered and product coverage. And so, so maybe answer that, but also when you were talking at uh, Channel X, our must-attend event for new channels, end plug, one of the <laughs> things that um, struck me was how analytical you were about the way the photography and presentation worked. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's talk about the analysis and working the channels so you're not just listing and hoping. Yeah, so I I think it's a good point about the gap at the beginning. I mean, it sounds like I did extensive research and I did research, but I think what was quite obvious was that on Not on the High Street, there was, you know, I knew the site well, so I, I had researched that. I knew it as a consumer myself, but there didn't appear to be coffee on there. At the time, so that's where I where just, I then tried to get just McCarmy, McCarmy yeah. Robbins. <laughs> but in terms of analytics, since then, yes, I mean, I I delve into it. I do enjoy looking at that side of all the platforms, and that informs a lot of our decisions. But in terms of the listings themselves, what we've always tried to do is think about the platforms as individual platforms rather than a one-size-fits-all. So, for example, with our product listings, when we're looking at how to present our product on Not on the High Street, we might really play up the personalised element because we know a Not on the High Street customer Mm -hmm. will go on there and be prepared to spend quite a lot of time crafting their message and Mm -hmm. putting quite a lot of effort into it. We know that from research. But on Amazon, for example, generalisation, a consumer might want to move quite quickly through the process. So we will create something that's a bit more simple in terms of how we present the product and it will be on a white background. And so what's been important to us is how we present the listings Mm. so that we're tailoring each time to the platform and the audience. And... Did you figure that out fairly? Was it kind of, did you start doing that? Did you go in and kind of know enough from your product background and things that you needed to do that? Or was that something you kind of figured out from a place of having maybe done 
used similar photography on all platforms and then exactly. had to change. Yes, we figured it out as we went. We started yeah. with basically the same image for all platforms. Or In fact, we didn't need to at the beginning because we were only on one, yeah. one platform. <laughs> but we started with that one main image. But as platforms change and change their guidelines, then that also informs what we can do on, on certain platforms. So it's it's been kind of an organic process to then really learn as we go and take the learnings from one platform and apply them to the other. Mm. So, yes, it, it's, yeah. it started in one way and, and we've kind of you've become learned. more sophisticated. Exactly. Yeah, as you've gone. Stated the obvious, you present as a woman, you're a woman-founded business. You can't help that. <laughs> That's just where you are. But you also talk about, as a female-founded business, supporting women growers mm -hmm. and sort of in the supply chain. I was interested in that because we do a lot of work when we're looking at sustainability and so on, and transparency and assurance to make sure it's working. And the further you go towards the source and pre the source, the more complicated the matter gets. So, so tell me a bit about how that fits into your brand and purpose, along with how you manage the assurance yourself without obviously going and watching the beans grow. So I, I think part of that goes back to having the the trusted partners as well but going back to the female side of things so yes we're we're a female founded business and what we've noticed and become much more aware of over the nine years since we started now is the challenges that women face in the coffee industry and particularly a farm level mm -hmm. and so what we're really keen to do is and what we've started to do is bring women into each level or each part of the process so sourcing from female farmers um, and then actually our partner here has a female coffee roasting team. And then obviously we're a female founded business. So as sister, we're then the retailer. So from farm to retail, we've introduced a coffee that is female produced at every stage. And really that's kind of the next step in our journey is to support and and offer that as, as a really mm natural next step but also really support that kind of local the local yes. communities and you know of course the obvious reality is that women were doing the work but often maybe didn't have their names or the title deeds or weren't the bank account through which the payments went so in a way this is just opening up the work that was already um, being done how does that change the way you approach the business so i get it from a from a purpose and a values mm -hmm. perspective. But when you're looking then at product development or growth areas, how conscious are you of that within your overall mix and growth plans? For us, it's a whole new layer because whilst our product is a lot of but has been historically about the packaging as much as the coffee, we're starting to move much more towards the coffee as well. So in terms of how it changes the business, we're getting closer to the actual sourcing level rather than relying on our partners and working closely with them. We're getting more involved in actually that farm level or partnering with them too. And so it's changing the focus of our business quite significantly. And what we're hoping that uh, is that it, it will ultimately lead to um, potentially some retail opportunities, which we haven't yet experienced or, or um, really tried mm. to focus on. You've kind of already told us that it started, right, very, very much around the, the idea and the concept. Yeah. So presumably you weren't an expert in coffee. I, I wasn't. I mean, I've always enjoyed coffee, but I wasn't a coffee expert by any means. I think it goes back to kind of the story of it is as much about the packaging and the kind of proposition as it is 
the coffee itself. But what is becoming more important for us now is is that coffee and the tra- traceability and, and really working with the farmers on a local yeah. level from a female point of view. So it's interesting, you know, we're always open to looking at where we can pivot and change. And, and I think this is a really exciting time for the business. And I think amazing as a, an entrepreneur to almost pick something to launch and to go kind of head into that you don't have that much experience in like as you say you're you're figuring out coffee and I think coffee on the fly and I think that's really something when we talk to people that are more entrepreneurial like I think that's something people are very nervous about like you know well I'd love to run a business in this but I know absolutely nothing about x but I imagine you're probably going to be self-deprecating now but I imagine (laughs) that you probably are quite the coffee expert now becoming more so (laughs) in time yeah I think you find that if you're a consultant so you professionally know how to know yes then that wouldn't hold you back because I think often people who feel they need to know before they start yeah so self-sense themselves I mean I think what interests me on this is there is a purposeful path Mm. in retail so we live in a world where if you have a credit card and you can afford to shop you are officially beyond need. So we're in a world of want and that leads to a world of waste. And so I think what we're seeing is, you know, beneath the headlines of sustainability and purpose is just a growing soup to nuts whole life cycle understanding. Mm-hmm. And you know, people, whether you're a fashion brand, a luxury, a saddle maker, or you know, a, a bean-to-cup producer then this path of purpose is something that I think is very inspiring, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Our business has, has done brilliantly to date. And, and actually, then it's a natural next step to think mm-hmm. about, actually, how can we help others? How can we give back? Yeah. How can we use this brand as a way to make a difference, even if it's in our own small way? And so that's what we're really focusing on now. Yeah. yeah. Not to take away from the, the positivity, but I think it is important, potentially, because I hope to all our entrepreneurial listeners that they will come up against challenges and probably periods where, especially if you haven't done it before or you're working with growers or authorities or governing bodies that you don't know where it's not so easy. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, how you've kind of like stayed the path, especially as quite a value-led business. Yeah. How you've kind of managed to, I guess, make those decisions stay on the path of kind of wanting to be this value-led organisation. Like, tell us a little bit about that. One of the biggest challenges was actually getting started and getting past mm. that whole "Have I done the right thing?" and um, <laughs> which I think many. Do you have an answer yet? <laughs> um, well, I've pushed through it, so yeah. I don't ask myself the question so much anymore. But for the first two years, I was actually consulting for Disney and Hasbro, who I used to work for full time. So it sort of took a little bit of the pressure yeah. off. But it was really when I I left that comfort, let's say, Mm. two years in, that I didn't have that fallback option anymore. That's when it really kicked in. And I kind of saw that as as quite a challenge of how do I keep (laughs) going forward and instilling that self-belief? And I think you do push through. Yeah. And, you know, similarly, as you asked with the question, how do you kind of stay on that that track? And I think you you have to remind yourself what it's all about, what you're doing it for, what your why is, and, and keep moving forward. Because each time you move forward a new answer or a new challenge will come up. I think so much about being an entrepreneur or founder is actually having the right mindset to kind of, you know, move forward with through the challenges. And how would you describe that mindset? So, you know, my kids will say things to me like, Dad, what do you actually do? Or when it's like bring <laughs> that your... That is bring, a good question. <laughs> when they have like bring your parent to school day, 
And Devin Ross has got like a proper parent who has a job, film director, accountant. They say, Dad, please, just, just don't embarrass us. So, you know, what are those attributes now then? I listened to the High Performance podcast quite a lot. And mm. I was at a session where the hosts were speaking and they said the common thread that runs through all their guests um, who are all high performers is is optimism. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because yeah. it's, it's not about, you know, not facing challenges, obviously. It's actually about remaining optimistic yeah. somehow. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. So I'd slightly amend that because I think some people are just naturally optimistic. Yes. But I think the characteristic of a successful entrepreneur is someone who looks at a glass that is exactly 50% full and by sheer effort of will... Yes. determines that to be half full rather than half empty. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a thing where you're Agreed. giving some of your life force to make stuff happen. Yeah. So optimism optimism can sound a bit foolhardy sometimes, can't it? Can. it? But I know what you I know what you mean. <laughs> okay, so look, our dear listener now has a mental picture of you, Georgie. And I don't want to step into their imagination, but, <laughs> but I you think will. I think it's going to be a brown waxed apron. <laughs> with rolled up sleeves and looking like a sort of James Hoffman world barista champion kind of coffee addict. Yeah. I'll that's... just park that. <laughs> but I don't want to disappoint them. But while coffee is obviously a, a true love, your business, Novello, actually has other strands. Mm-hmm. So just tell us why, you know, as if you're not busy enough with coffee, you think, oh, by the way, let me launch some other things. So maybe just just let's do a little novelloing just to broaden the picture. Yeah, so the way that Novello Products has come about is really organically because we started with one coffee brand, Sister, which is our biggest brand, but we've actually, off the back of the learnings from that brand and everything that we've built to date, taken those same learnings and thought, well, if it works on coffee, why wouldn't it work on pet products or confectionery or or multiple other categories? And so we are trialing a couple of other consumer brands. So Novello Products, as, as the overall business, is split into two parts. We have the consumer brands and then we have the tech. So we're trialing everything we've learned across multiple categories, mm. basically. Mm. Um, and so, again, it's a really exciting time to see. And so how extensible is it? Because I, I just need to push you a bit on the, uh, we're taking all the lessons we've learned. Da, 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 but you didn't actually say what those lessons were. Yeah. So if this was a marketing brochure saying, hey, come and get our <laughs> Novello platform, where insert product name, you know, we'll do X, Y, and Z. So so what are they? Because with, with the coffee, you saw for a target market with gifting, there wasn't coffee in a marketplace you knew as a customer, had a punt and then optimised. But pets, they're so, well served. Ex- Sweets. <laughs> exactly what you've just said, actually, oh. um, Ian. In terms of, <laughs> That's <laughs> rare. My question, no, but exactly that kind of process of trialling, gifting, etc., etc., exactly what you've said, is then what we're applying to other other categories so in pets for example the gifting side whether it's for the pet themselves Mm. or for the human the owner there is 
a market there. And so looking at that opportunity and then the same, you know, confectionery is already a very large market, but the gifting side, there is an angle to go after. And we're trialing a few fun things with that, bringing in some of the puns that we've learnt, you know. Oh, you've got to tell me. The, uh, <laughs> so I'll send you some samples. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. I tell you, if there were, if I launched internet retailing Sweet Tooth Products Limited, <laughs> we would just eat all the stock <laughs> before it gets anywhere near packaging. You mentioned Disney. Yes. Other global media businesses are available, but you've uh, you worked at Disney and also Hasbro, yep. which is sort of back in the news after last year's blockbuster films. So big global companies, big important job. Everyone thinks that she must be mad to be leaving that. What What would you say that as you look back, you think, thank God I had those jobs because I mm. learned X and Y, or just X. What was the taking away from these uh, global Yes, do global tell cubicles? me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do we think, need to cut um, that bit? <laughs> yeah. I think one of the, the biggest things that I've taken away from Disney in particular, but both really, is the storytelling that you can bring to life through a product. Mm. So I mentioned I started in Disney Consumer Products, which is the essentially merchandise side of, of the Walt Disney Company. And what I, I have taken away and still remember to this day is it, it was all about developing con compelling products and actually not just slapping a Mickey Mouse on a mug and expecting it to sell. It's actually got to tell more of a story than that. And the so, magic Mickey mug. Yeah, exactly, the magic Mickey mug or a princess, Disney princess cup. It, it, it had to kind of embody the princess and might have a, a crown-shaped top or a, a, it was very much about bringing the brand into the product in a more enhanced way. And so for us, we wouldn't just put happy birthday on a coffee tin. We would bring something in yeah. and say, have a fabulous birthday or something that ties the product back into what, you know, it's got to have a reason to exist. That's mm. what I always think about. With Sorry that I'm smiling because it's an excellent <laughs> pun. <laughs> it took me a second and then I didn't want to interrupt you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's something that we try and bring into everything. So it's kind of ingrained in me. Mm. Yeah. No, I just love it. But if you were sending a letter back in time to the person who was working in the cubicle, uh, were you inside the uh, that roundabout in Hammersmith? In Hammersmith, exactly, yes. yeah. The place so awful that no one leaves for lunch. So if you're sending a, a letter back to that cubicle and, and the past you opened it, there was a little note from the future saying, you should know this, or as an entrepreneur, I've also learned this. What would you bring back into that sort of global corporate role and context? I think other than punning, which we other than punning, we realise yes. now a medical condition. It is a real art. Um, <laughs> I think for me it's it would probably be don't be afraid to try to do things differently. I think as a founder and an entrepreneur, you're forced to, you have to constantly pivot or be resourceful and you're you're almost forced into thinking about how you could do something differently. So that then becomes very natural and second nature. But in a corporate, you have the security of mm. processes and systems and it doesn't mean to say you can't challenge that. But I think sometimes when you have that structure, you don't always feel that you need to or that you should or that it's necessary. So I think going back and saying, actually, you know, it is important to keep challenging, to keep reinventing, to keep kind of pushing the boundaries and potentially be more resourceful. That's what I'd say. Mm. 
there's always that balance. So if you think about, let's say, McDonald's and a Disney, then you don't want people cowboying around. And, no. So that consistency is part of your global quality assurance, is part of your brand promise. But equally, you want to flex. So, you know, with McDonald's menus for events, for local activity, it's balancing that quality with that relevance. Exactly. And I think what I appreciate having embarked on my own startup is just how much goes into maintaining that consistency and the consistency of brand. When you look at the McDonald's or the Disney's of the world, you, I personally have even more admiration than I, mm. I ever did because to maintain that level of consistency both internally and consumer-facing, is is very difficult. Yeah, yeah. So I think, as you say, there's a balance because you don't want then people coming in and challenging that too much. There's got to be some uh, some guidelines, but then having freedom within those to constantly make That's things it. better. It's, Absolutely. It's that balance, yeah. And how did you know, so we've talked a little bit about you're, you're exploring other brands and you've learned yeah. stuff, but kind of how do you as an entrepreneur entrepreneur know when it's the time to kind of go okay I'm now going to take jump. a jump okay now I'm going to go again and now I'm going to kind of keep building with all of those jumps come the extra risk or the balance of your time or kind of do you now need to expand your your team or your offering or invest more? especially because you sort of side hustled it yes for yes. a while and then side hustle became main hustle so again that's a letting go yeah. moment. Was it yeah. consistency of, of sales or was it intuition or was it opportunity? Kind of how do you know? It's it's funny because as you ask that question, I think it's almost the answer is I don't think you ever do know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I think you just go for it. You have to and I think that becomes easier with time because mm. you trust that actually by doing something will potentially lead you. You might make a mistake or you might do the in inverted commas, the wrong thing initially, but actually then you'll you might go down a different path and do the right thing. So yeah, I yeah I don't think that there's a kind of there's no perfect there's no time. Perfect there's no timing, thing. There's but, no magic sauce. Yeah, a bit yeah. of intuition, and then looking at of course sales and potentially consumer. You know, obviously consumer feedback, um, and really thinking about the consumer and everything you do because mm. ultimately as a product led business there has to be um, the consumer at the heart of it. So looking at trends, looking at w where the consumer's active and what, what they're mm. looking at and what's happening in the market. You know, we've looked a yeah. lot at price recently, for example. So I think it's a mixture of things. Yeah. Just not putting too much pressure on having to do things at a certain time or in a certain way is important. Mm. Yeah. Well, you've really introduced the topic of time yeah. <laughs> and the effluxion thereof. So as we draw to the end of our studio time, let's look forward. So what next for you? Multiple brands, a platform as well as the brand, smile on your face. You must be looking forward to something. Share with us, you know, what you see happening next. Where are you wanting to go and, you know, how do you see 2024 panning out? A big focus for us on the sister side of things is the female empowerment and really supporting women in coffee, as, as we've already talked about. And then off the back of that, hopefully exploring retail, physical retail, which we've not really entered into before. Mm. So that's a whole exciting part of the business itself. And then, as always, distribution channels. So TikTok Shop, for example, is one that we're exploring at the moment, which is a natural fit. There is lots on the go, but also on a more personal level, I'm starting to get involved in different communities like Female Founders Rise and female organisations where actually 
working with other female founders and kind of sharing our stories is part of what we do and hopefully inspiring others to make the leap and go into starting something themselves. So that's really exciting. Great. I mean, I'm close to just kind of putting down my headphones, (laughs) walking out. (laughs) How many coffees you had today? Too many. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note of caffeinated positivity, uh, Georgie, thank you so much for sharing with us uh, the story. And it's really inspiring actually to see at an early stage, how the brand is taking shape and and wings the future. So thank you so much for that. And Georgia, thank you very much for joining us as well. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I mean... And have we now done a proper exit and I, round off as I well mean, as... A... I'm shooketh, as my uh, younger sister <laughs> well, would say. Well, on that note, let, let's just stop recording. We <laughs> Thanks, Georgie. <laughs> thank that was you great. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Look at that. This whole planning malarkey. I know. It's got a lot to be said for it, hasn't it? It does. And it went, you were fantastic. Thank thank you. you. That was brilliant. We don't normally plan as well as this. No. But Georgia made me. Oh, right. Okay. No, it was. I get get anxiety from lack of planning. (laughs) She makes me plan. It's just easier and better. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? I know. Well, you've got so much, you know, brilliance to bring to the table if we can just (laughs) funnel it in. (laughs) 